Hey, if you have a Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to continue in our series on understanding Jesus. And I want to talk to you today about what to do when you are offended at God. Anybody in the room want to be honest and admit that either you have been at one time or maybe you currently are offended at God? You just throw your hand up in the air, just a little offended, just hurt my feelings. Has he ever hurt your feelings just a little bit? Just, I want to talk to you today about how to deal with that. I believe Jesus is the most incredible person in human history. Um, but I also think he's the most under, misunderstood person in the history of humanity. And so today I want to, I want to help you understand him a little bit better because I think if you can, I think if you can believe the right things about God, it'll change your life. And, uh, I hope this, I hope this helps you. Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to start in verse one. It says, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Notice this last verse. He says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This is, this is going to be interesting. So Father, in Jesus' name, help us. Over these next few moments that we have together, speak a word to us that will so challenge us that it changes us. We want to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. John the Baptist, Jesus said of John the Baptist, there wasn't anybody born among women that was greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin. They're connected not only because they are the family of God, but they are connected in the family of humanity. They are the family of humanity. They are connected relationally. Uh, they are connected in purpose. John must go before Jesus as his forerunner, declaring that there's one coming after me who is greater than me. And John the Baptist, a friend of Jesus, a relative of Jesus, finds himself in a situation that he believes, and I believe that Jesus could have gotten him out of, but he didn't. John ended up Never getting out of prison, he ended up dying with his head chopped off and served on a platter. Wow, really hopeful, Rob. It's really. <laughs> Thanks for the message. Can we leave now, please? Can we? <laughs> Can I get to Longhorn now? Can you? No, what I want you to see is I want you to see a man who had heard Jesus declare that God had anointed him to open blinded eyes, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. There's also a declaration that Jesus made that puts John the Baptist in a situation where he's wondering, if Jesus said he would do that, then why isn't he doing that for me? Jesus said that he was anointed to set prisoners free. But John the Baptist finds himself 
in a prison. And I want to ask you today, what do you do when what you believe about God is not what you are experiencing? When you're going through something that you believe God has the power to deal with, to fix, to heal, to solve, but he isn't, and he doesn't. What do you do with God then? Because listen to me, your greatest obstacle is not going to be believing that God can do great things. Your greatest obstacle is going to be what do you do when God doesn't do what you thought he should do? So John the Baptist is like many of us. He finds himself in a situation that he thinks that God can save him from, so he sends word and he says, hey, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one we're looking for? And Jesus sends back word and he says, go tell John all the things that I'm doing because what's happening now, if you're not careful, Jesus says, you'll get offended at me because you'll focus on what I'm not doing and you'll miss all of the things that I am doing. The Bible is full of interesting stories to me, stories that because the way I'm wired, I see, I see things that I wish I didn't see in the Bible that frustrate me. For instance, there's a story about a man at this pool at Bethesda where there's an angel that's coming down and the angel comes and he stirs the waters and if you can get into the pool after the angel stirs the waters, then you can be healed. There's this guy that's been there for 38 years and Jesus walks into this place where there are hundreds of people who are sick. The Bible says that Jesus walks to this man, this man who isn't really looking for a miracle because Jesus had to ask him, do you want to be made well? So it's not like this man is crying out in faith. It's not like this man is believing God. It's not like this man is trusting God. It's not like this man is praying and fasting. He's not going to church. He's, he's not giving in the offering. It's not like this man is like seeking God for anything. Jesus just shows up and says, hey, do you want to be made well? And the guy doesn't even respond yes. He responds and he says, well, I have no man to get me into the pool. And, and the Bible says Jesus doesn't even require him to ask for the healing because Jesus healed him and he didn't even ask for it. Now, this story is amazing because it speaks to me about a Jesus who loves me enough to kind of get beyond my, my feelings and beyond my disappointment and beyond my own ability to not really believe God or trust God or see what God is doing. But it, but it also shows me something that frustrates me to death. What about all the other people? What about all the other people that are actually there and they're crying out to God for a miracle and Jesus walks up to a guy who's not even really looking for a miracle. Jesus has to ask him, do you want a miracle? What do you do when God heals people that you think don't deserve it? God blesses people who aren't even really asking for it, but here you are going to church every week, giving in the offering, being faithful to your spouse, doing all the right stuff, and it seems like God walks past you to walk towards a man who isn't even looking for him. Oh my God, what do you do? <laughs> Frustrates me that I see that. Because it shows me something about 
the way I see God. It shows me that there's this possibility that I'm missing something about God, that I'm misunderstanding something about what God is doing and what God is doing, not just in my life, but what God is doing in the earth. And it makes me realize that sometimes I build theology around what God isn't doing instead of what God is doing. I build and develop theology and beliefs about God around unanswered prayers, things he should have done, why didn't God, God should have, why would God? We ask all of these questions and, 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 and if we're not careful, we'll think we're alone in asking these questions, not realizing that John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, was offended with God. And God had to deal with his own heart and deal with his own life. Could, could it be that our inability to see Jesus correctly causes us to miss him? And it's one of those things where we get together and we talk about how the Jews missed Jesus because he didn't come wrapped in the packaging that they thought he was gonna come wrapped in. He didn't look like what they thought he was gonna look like, come the way they thought he was gonna come, do what they thought he was gonna do. His own disciples didn't understand him. He's telling them, hey, I'm going to the cross, and Peter's like, no, you can't go to the cross. What if what we know about Jesus is affecting what we believe about Jesus? Because what we know about Jesus has convinced us that there isn't some other aspect to Jesus that we haven't seen yet. The disciples had the hardest time understanding Jesus going to the cross. Why did this bother them? Why was this such a contradiction to them? It bothered them because they knew he had power over everything. They had watched him perform miracles and how could a person with this much power be subject to death, to capture, to ridicule, to suffering? How could a person with this much authority allow himself and allow others? Isn't this the question that atheists ask all the time? It, it, we're, we're, just, we're just believing atheists. Atheists ask the question all the time. How could God allow bad things to happen to good people? How could God let this happen? And, and we might not be wondering, and we, we might not be questioning the existence of God because bad things happen, but we might be questioning the reality of God, the character of God, the nature of God because of what has happened to us. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you today because if you're not careful You'll feel like the person that Jesus has walked by. You'll feel like the person that Jesus has left in the prison. And you'll develop thoughts and ideologies and thinking about Jesus that isn't accurate. You'll think that Jesus came to save you from all the trouble in life. Jesus came to deliver me from all the problems of life. Jesus came to keep me from ever getting a bad report. Jesus came to keep me from getting my lights turned off. Jesus came so that I would never wonder where my next meal is coming from. Jesus came so that I would never suffer lack or, or, or need anything or, or want anything. Jesus came to fulfill all my desires and all my wishes and make my dreams come true. And if you're not careful, you'll believe things about God that are not true. Jesus did not secure a problem-free life for me and you. Jesus secured eternal life. 
Come on, somebody. He did not. He even told us as he was leaving, he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but do not be afraid for what? For I have overcome the world. In Mark chapter eight, if you'll turn to Mark chapter eight with me. In Mark chapter eight, there's a there's a there's an amazing story where Jesus has fed 4,000 people. He's fed 4,000 people. His crowd has gathered. Jesus has compassion on the crowd. He's worried about them going home hungry and fainting as they go home. And he asked his disciples, he said, how much, how much bread do we have? They said, we have seven pieces of bread. So he tells the crowd to sit down. He, he gets them together in groups and then he blesses the bread and they had a little fish too. And so he blesses the fish and he begins to give it to the disciples to distribute. The Bible says, and the people were satisfied, and the, the, afterwards the disciples had 12 bas- or seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. There's about 4,000 people present when this happened. And just a couple verses later, verse 14 of Mark chapter 8, watch what happens. The Bible says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf which they had with them in the boat. Jesus had just told them the previous verse, get in the boat, we're going to cross over to the other side. And the Bible says, Jesus goes, be careful, Jesus warned, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? One translation says, why are you reasoning within yourselves. Why, why are you having this discussion in your mind? Why are you thinking that you have no bread? He says, are your hearts hardened? Do you still not see or understand? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the loaves up for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven. He says, do you still not understand? In other words, this is what Jesus is saying to them. We have no bread. Jesus says, why are you talking about having no bread when you've already seen what I can do with bread? Why does your thought process begin with what you don't have? Why is your imagination so limited by what you lack? Why hasn't my faithfulness impacted your faith? Why hasn't the revelation of my character, who I am, Why hasn't that affected the starting position of your thoughts? In other words, Jesus is saying, have you not already encountered my character? Do you not know who I am? Jesus would challenge his disciples all the time and he would say, why is your faith so little? And he would compare it to people who who aren't really in relationship, who don't know him, who haven't traveled with him, who haven't seen what he would see. He'd say, as much as you have seen and as well as you know me, how do you still not believe in me? How do you still not trust me? It's the same reason we don't trust him. It's the same reason Israel didn't trust him when Moses did. Why? Because in Psalm 103 and 7, the Bible says that God revealed his character to Moses. He made his ways known to the people. That's his nature. And the Bible says his deeds to the people of Israel. I want to know God's ways more than I want to know his deeds. 
And this is Jesus' frustration with the people all the time. He said, you're always seeking a sign. You're always wanting me to prove myself. You should know me not by my deeds, but by my ways, by my character. Who I am should be enough for you. By this time, you should know me well enough to trust me. Even when I'm not doing what you think I should do. The psalmist said in Psalm 23, he says, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One translation says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. That doesn't mean I won't ever experience lack. That doesn't mean I won't ever go without. How many of you? God is your shepherd and you struggle to pay the bills. You've, you've lived at points in your life where you didn't know where your next ramen noodles were coming from. Come on, somebody in the room, be honest. You didn't know how you're going to keep the lights on. You didn't know how you're going to pay your college bill. You didn't know how you're going to pay for your tuition. You didn't know how you were going to get from point A to point B. But God didn't cease to be your shepherd because you had a need in your life. It, the mindset is not a mindset of I always have what I need because he always performs the deed. I always have what I need because of who he is. So because I know his character, I lack nothing. Because if he needed me to have it, I'd have it. Because I know him well enough to know that if he needed me to have it, I'd have it. And if he wanted to get it to me, he could get it to me. So I trust his character. When I'm poor, I trust his character. When I'm rich, I trust his character. When I'm sick, I trust his character. When I'm healthy, I trust his character. When I'm lost, I trust his character. I don't want to know him by his deeds. I don't want to be accused of looking for a sign. I want to know him by his ways. I want to know him by his ways. James chapter one. James says this in verse, verses two through four. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the trial, this testing of your faith, it's producing perseverance. Watch this last one. He, he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. Do you have everything you want? No, but I'm not lacking anything. Am I where I want to be? No, but the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Won't you be fulfilled when? No, I'm already full. <laughs> so he says, why are you worrying about bread? When I'm the bread of life. In Mark chapter four, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 35, he says, hey guys, let's go to the other side. They get in a boat, they start to go to the other side. As they're going to the other side, a storm comes up and the disciples are afraid that they're gonna die. So because the storm is raging, Jesus is sleeping. I love it that the Bible says, not only is Jesus sleeping, but he's sleeping on a pillow. 
Like he's not just sleeping like he's comfortable. You know what I mean? Like he's just, he, is, he is comfortable. You're freaking out. He's comfortable. And this irks us about God. <laughs> to the point where the disciples ask the question, and we've asked this question, does he even care? Does he even care about us? Now watch this. Jesus had said, let's go to the other side. That's the revealed will of God. If Jesus says, let's go to the other side, Jesus means, let's go to the other side. Right? Like once it comes out of his mouth, the creative power within his mouth, he says, let there be light and light just comes. He said, let there be light before he made the moon and the stars and the sun and light still had to show up. Because he wants you to understand, I don't have to have a light to be the light. You don't need to see the sun to see the sun. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. So that means they're going to the other side. But what happens? They get into the middle of a storm. And instead of agreeing with the revealed will of God, they begin to agree with the storm. And when you are offended at God, it leads to unbelief. And unbelief is dangerous because unbelief is, is not just, ah, oh, man, I don't believe. Unbelief means that you have partnered with a lie. You have come into agreement with the storm. You don't believe anymore what Jesus said because the storm is so great. So I start to say my words come into alignment with what the storm is saying. And the storm says you're not going to make it. Storm says this is the end. The storm says you cannot survive this. And so I panic. I freak out. Why? Because I start to repeat what the storm is saying to me instead of what Jesus said before the storm ever spoke. And I need you to understand this. They are right in the middle of God's will and in the middle of a storm. Did you catch that? Because some of you are thinking right now that you are outside of God's will because bad stuff is happening to you. Storms are raging all around you and you are thinking that maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe I'm just bad. Maybe God's just angry with me. Maybe God's disappointed in me. Maybe... And you don't understand that I can be right in the middle of God's will and still storms come into my life. Just ask Mary and Joseph. I can be in the middle of God's will and running for my life with no place to stay, a refugee, not even welcome in my own hometown. Why is this important? Because the world defines peace. Remember, this whole series is based on this statement from Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change the way you think so that you can receive the kingdom. The kingdom is a different way of thinking. I have to understand Jesus correctly so that I can receive the kingdom. If not, I'll think like the world thinks. I won't have a renewed mind that thinks like God thinks. I'll, I'll conform to the patterns of this world. And the world says that the absence of stuff the absence of things is the presence of peace. The world says the absence of war, the absence of conflict, the absence of trouble, the absence of difficulty, the absence of trials, that's peace. But that's not how the Bible defines peace. 
The Bible doesn't define peace as the absence of something. The Bible defines peace as the presence of Jesus. So I can be surrounded by storms and trouble and trial and noise, chaos and wars, and still have the peace of God because peace is a person who's living on the inside of me. It's the same thing with favor. Favor has never been about what's happening around you. Favor has always been about what you're carrying on the inside of you. Joseph and Mary, when when the angel comes, he says to Mary, hey, highly favored, blessed and highly favored. Highly favored look like pregnant in other people's wives, in other people's eyes out of wedlock. Highly favored look like running for our life. Highly favored look like not having a home. Highly favored involved trouble. Favor has never been about what's happening around you. Favor has always been about what you're carrying on the inside of you. But these guys, don't you care? And if you're not, if you're not careful, you'll develop a don't you care theology. And we don't always, we don't always say it, but we feel it. Some of us still have this mindset that like, we still think that if we, we, we say something like lightning's gonna come out of heaven and so we don't say a lot of the stuff we think. <laughs> we keep that to ourselves because we're like, if we say it, we're like, oh, lightning, oh, God's gonna. But we think it. Just take a look at your prayer life. Your prayer life defines what you believe about God. And some of you, because God didn't do what you wanted him to do, you stopped praying. Let's say someone in your family got sick and they didn't get healed, so now it's... If I'm not careful, I'll develop a theology about my unanswered prayers. I'll develop a prison theology. Well, he's out there and he's doing all of that for them, but what about, I'll develop a pool theology. Well, the guy, remember the guy, the pool, and Jesus didn't even talk to me. So it's, it's, it's very natural for us to come into agreement with the storm because most of our life is a storm. Most of our life is not on this side or this side. Most of our life is lived out in the middle of the water. There are no signs out in the middle of the water. This isn't like being on dry land where you get road signs. In the middle of the water, you have to set your eyes on a fixed point or else you get off track. The fixed point is the character, the nature of God. I cannot let... The doctor's reports, I cannot let my financial condition, I cannot let the, the, the condition of my life define my position. I look to Jesus as a fixed point in my life. No matter what happens, God is good. No matter what happens, God is faithful. No matter what deeds he performs, I know his nature. So, watch this. Jesus, 
He wakes up because the disciples are losing it. They're like, Jesus, you don't care. Jesus gets up. The Bible says he looks at this storm. He rebukes the storm. He says, peace, be still. And then he turns and he rebukes their faith. Watch this. I need you to hear this. This is good theology. He did what they asked him to do. Even though they didn't have the faith. For him to do it. Because God performing miracles for you. Has never really been connected. To your ability. To believe him. You got to be careful about this. Because if not, you'll develop, you'll develop a formula to getting something from God. And then you'll put that formula into play. And then you won't get it. And you'll think, well, does God even do that? So you'll read the Bible and you'll read a story and you'll take a story as a formula. But Jesus healed people all throughout the New Testament that weren't even asking for it. One day he's walking by a funeral and he sees a woman crying because her boy's laying in the casket. He touches the casket and the boy comes back to life. She didn't ask him for that. She might not have even wanted him to come back. She might have been like, Daggum, he was a problem. Like, she was crying because life is good. You know, she's like, I'm so happy now. Jesus comes along, boom. So, so watch this. The point of faith has never been about believing, can God show me, prove it? The point of faith is believing the character of God in spite of what you see God doing or his lack of doing in your imagination. So yeah, believe, believe that God can do anything, but have your mind made up that even if he doesn't do what you want him to do, I know his character, I know his nature, and I know that even if this doesn't work out the way I want it to, all of it's going to work for my good, some way, somehow, God is going to get glory out of this situation. That's what I put my confidence in. Not the outcome that I want, but the God that I serve. Wow. Notice this. Jesus, sleeping in the storm, declares victory over the storm, says, peace be still. The disciples marvel. Who is this man that he controls the wind and the waves? That was not the point of the story. Guys, the point of the story was that Jesus was sleeping in a storm that you were freaking out over. I I don't want to know how God told the wind and the waves to stop. 
I want to know how in the world did you sleep in the middle of that? Because what I know about life is I cannot control what's going on around me. The only thing I can control and do something about is what's going on on the inside of me. And as long as what's happening out there doesn't get in here, I'll make it. Repentance is important here. Why? Because our internal mindset, our internal reality defines our external reality. This is kingdom thinking. This is kingdom thinking. Kingdom thinking. Watch. Jesus declares peace to a storm because he had peace in his heart. You only have authority over storms you can sleep through. You're out here running around trying to rebuke the devil. And you can't, get it, you can't even get control of your own heart. You only have the authority over the storms that you can sleep through. You can't, you can't tell the world to be quiet when you're a raging storm on the inside. So listen, don't embrace the lie. What's the lie? The lie is this, if I'm going through a storm, God doesn't care. One of the reasons, I said this already and I want to repeat it because I think, you, I think you, some of you might have missed it. Maybe everybody missed it. Maybe I even missed it. Maybe I didn't even say it in this service. Maybe I forget that I said it in first service and I'm thinking. <laughs> but sometimes the thing that makes us misunderstand God is what we already know about him. Right, the disciples, they had seen displays of his power and it made them believe there's no way he can go to the cross. When you have that much power, why would you allow yourself to suffer? Why would you let anyone suffer? And this is the greatest misunderstanding of people who don't believe in God. They ask the question, if God is so good, then why does God let bad things happen? God lets bad things happen because God is committed to free will. It's because God loves you that bad things happen. Because if God forced you to love him, then he doesn't love you. If God makes you obey him, then he doesn't love you. Remember, God's love secured eternal life, not a problem-free life. So this kingdom... This kingdom. John, it's, it's different than what you think. Disciples, it's different than what you think. Church, family, it's different sometimes than what you think. In the kingdom of God, it's so contrary to the, to the world because in the kingdom of God, to live, you've got to die. This doesn't fit into our culture because our culture is so obsessed with YOLO. You only live once. Kingdom's opposite. To, to really live, then you've got to die. In Matthew 16 and 25, Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will end up losing it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will end up finding it. 
In John chapter 12, verse 24, the Bible says that unless a wheat, uh, a kernel of wheat falls into the ground, a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot produce what's on the inside of it. The process of it dying reveals its potential, what it's actually made of. And we're so obsessed with trying to keep the seed alive. We're so obsessed with trying to save our lives and keep our lives safe and live safe and be safe. And the Bible teaches, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it can't produce anything in the kingdom. In the kingdom, it's so weird. You receive by giving. Strange, isn't it? God says, when you give, I give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In, in the kingdom, I become great by serving. There's something that amazes me all the time is, is when people say, where is God? He's where he's always been. Where, where's God right now? And they look at all the problems of the world and Where's God? Why didn't God do something about COVID? Why didn't God stop COVID? Why, why didn't God do something about all this division? Why didn't God stop this and stop that? Where is God? God's where he's always been. Matthew 25 and 40, the Bible teaches, Jesus teaches that whenever you serve the least of these, you served God. God's where he's always been. Hidden in plain sight with the least of these. Where's God? He's in the hospital with the hurting. Where's God? He's in the streets with the homeless. Where's God? He's serving the less, the less fortunate and the underprivileged and those who have been marginalized and those who have been overlooked and forgotten. Where's God? God is exactly where we refuse to go. We're like, where's, where's God? He's where he's always been. He's with broken, hurting, angry, disappointed, bitter, struggling, sick people. It's wild we get saved and forget that the, the, the demand of our salvation is not that we isolate ourselves from the people we came from. It's that we run back into to rescue the people who are still trapped in the places we were trapped. God didn't pull Moses out of Egypt just so that he could hang out in the wilderness. No, he pulled him out of Egypt to send him back to Egypt. So when God pulls you out, pulls you out to send you back, where is God? He's where you refuse to go. In the kingdom, you get full by pouring out. Our culture is obsessed with holding tightly to everything. Don't let anything go. Don't open up your life. Don't open up your mind. Don't open up your heart. Don't open up your wallet. Don't you, you hang on to everything you got because everybody's out to get you. Everybody's out to, in the kingdom of God, you, you pour out. Paul said, 
I'm giving you everything I got. And sometimes when I give you everything I got, it feels like you love me even less. He said, but I'll gladly be poured out for you. Because the only way I can be full is to pour it out. The Bible says that out of our bellies would flow rivers of living water. Didn't say it'd be a lake. It's a river. It's, it's a flow. There's a flow to our life. It's fullness in the kingdom is not measured by what you possess. Fullness in the kingdom is measured by overflow. In the book of Acts, the Bible says they went into the upper room and that the Holy Ghost came down and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. What happened after they were filled with the Holy Ghost? The Bible said what happened in them spilled out of that room and into the streets. For us, it's like, man, man, oh man, we had church. You should have been to church. You should have come to the upper room. What about all the people who aren't here this morning? Do we just say, hey, come to church with me? No, we should, we should desire that what God pours out in this place spills out of this place and begins to, full, to pour out in the streets of our city. Peter, as a matter of fact, had to explain to him, listen, I, I know you guys think these guys are drunk, but it's only the middle part of the day. They're not drunk. This isn't happy hour. Like, these guys are just filled with the Holy Ghost. The evidence of being full of the Holy Ghost is what comes out of your life, what overflows from your life. Not that, oh man, I've got full this morning, bro. I'm full, I'm full, I'm as full as I can get. No, what came out? What happened to you on Sunday morning isn't important. If you're a lake, you've got to become a river. What's flowing out? Will you stand with me? Man, I just, I want to help you. I want to help you because I don't want you to misunderstand Jesus and miss him. To have an expectation of God that's, that's unhealthy and not biblical. To think that because I'm in this prison or I'm, I'm in this pain or I'm going through this difficulty or I'm suffering right now that somehow that's connected to Somehow God's mad at me. Somehow God's disappointed. Somehow God's... When, when the issue of whether or not you're pleasing to God, you're satisfactory to God, you're good enough, Jesus has already solved that problem. So I'm not sitting here today wondering, well, if God didn't do a miracle, it must be because I'm bad. It must be because I didn't believe hard enough. I didn't go to church enough. I didn't pray enough. I didn't give enough. I didn't no, stop that. The, the problem, the issue between you and God, the thing that kept God from being near to you and close to you, Jesus fixed that problem. It's gone. All of God's anger and wrath, he poured it out 
on his son Jesus. He doesn't have any left for you. So don't develop a theology around unanswered prayers. Don't develop a theology that's a prison theology that you think that just because this didn't happen the way you thought it should have happened, the way you wanted it to happen, that God is somehow changed or he doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't still. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that helps us see you clear. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if there's anybody in this room who feels that you are disconnected from God, maybe you don't even, maybe you've never even connected to God and you're in this room today. And you want to make sure of, you want to have confidence in, you want to leave this place knowing that you are secure, that you are firm. I don't want you to ever confuse your condition and your position. Jesus standing in front of Pilate, Pilate said, your condition says that I'm in charge. But Jesus reminded him, don't let my condition fool you. I am the son of God. Never confuse my condition and my position. And if we're not careful, we'll think that our condition is a reflection of our position in Christ. If I'm hurting, then, then maybe that's got something to do with my position. If, if, if I'm sick, maybe that's got something to do with my position. If, if, if I'm suffering, maybe that's got something. When none of that change, your condition does not change your position. You are secure in Christ. And if you want to leave this place today knowing that security. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to throw your hand up in the air, and we're going to pray with you and believe that today you're going to leave this place knowing who you belong to. If that's you, one, two, three, throw that hand up in the air. I see you, sir. Anybody else? I see you. Anyone else? Anybody else? All right, let's pray this prayer together. Let's say this together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. She gave your life for me. Take my life. Have it all. Use me for your glory. I'm your vessel. I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. I belong to you. Do what you want. I trust your nature. I trust your character. I want to know your ways. Help me not to seek a sign, but to be a sign. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 I love you so much. And